I'll, I'll use quantitative, qualitative. So I've seen Moneyball. Got to get on base. So that's dealing. That's more dealing with the position players. There's no. There hasn't been a Moneyball for pitching yet. So Mike Trout, for example, from the LA Angels, you know. $400 million over 13 years. Figure that one out. Yeah, it's, it's astronomical. I mean, he's no Patrick Mahomes, but... Well, yeah, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I worked out the top five highest paid Major League Baseball players make more than the entire AFL combined. It's not hazing, like, too aggressively. Um, it's just you got to pay your dues. You know, you got to earn the right not to carry that bag of bats or carry the helmet bag, etc. And that's right. And before the world goes too crazy PC, that's important because it builds something called camaraderie um, between players. But I feel very unaustrained when I say cricket is terrible. Um, and I'm not going to apologize for that. Any game that lasts five days <laughs> and they can end in a draw because it rained is not a real sport. I'm standing by it. I don't care what anyone else says. <laughs> uh, welcome back, everybody, to the Strength Institute podcast. Today, I've got Johnny Ogilvie here with me. Um, uh, Johnny is a strength and conditioning coach for about five years with Diamond Fitness. His clientele ranges from kids to adults. Uh, to semi-professional and professional, a bit of a blend, we'll get into that in a second, uh, athletes, uh, which is pretty exciting. Um, His biggest team sporting uh, involvement is with the Perth Heat baseball team. Uh, So we're going to be uh, jumping into the strength conditioning sort of behind baseball um, primarily in this podcast, which I'm pretty excited about. And uh, just so you all know, I did do my research. Um, The Perth Heat is actually the most successful ABL team out there with their 15 uh, successful Claxton Shield uh, uh, retentions. The man's done his research. I've done my research there. But uh, thanks very much, Johnny, for jumping onto the podcast with me, mate. Thanks for having me. Perfect. Um, So baseball. All right, baseball. I guess my first question is, how come America's favorite pastime is so big in Japan? I have thought about this a bit and I have done a bit of research. What I like to think is after all the military bases in Japan after World War II, the American soldiers need something to do when they're off duty and that's how they played played baseball to pass the time. I'm not entirely sure if that's right, but that's my story and I'm sticking it. But if you look back through the records, I'm pretty sure that the NPB, so Nippon Professional Baseball, which is the big league in Japan – did start before World War Two, so I honestly can't tell you. All right, it so is. it might have started before, but maybe it got a little bit of an extra like uh, boost with the uh, with all the American military bases there. Correct. Interesting. Correct. Interesting. Right. So when I said in the uh, the intro that it's a bit of a blend, um, semi professional, professional, can you just um, explain to everyone listening sort of what the uh, the ABL uh, is and and what you meant by that? So the Australian Baseball League has eight teams in it. There's the Perth Heat, Melbourne Aces. Canberra Cavalry, I'm thinking here, Brisbane Bandits, Adelaide Giants, then uh, Auckland and a Korean team based out of Geelong. So Korean te- Korean players all come over, get live in Geelong for how many years? How many years? Well, months, and they play out of there. It used to only be six, then Auckland and Geelong came in, and the rosters are made up of a combination of, so for example in Perth we have – combination of local guys and imports there are restrictions on how many imports you can have so for our local guys again combination of guys who have been affiliated lists and are now working so for example we have a teacher playing for us a firefighter uh guys doing various other jobs then we have affiliated young players so we have a few guys who are on the list at the milwaukee brewers a guy from the pittsburgh pirates a few others and so Baseball, they're trying to make it in the minor leagues, hopefully go up to the big leagues. Then our imports who come over, we have an affiliation with the Tampa Bay Rays. So they'll send out prospects to play for us and all they do is baseball. 
baseball, baseball. They've all been to the college system or have signed out of high school. Um, there are two guys running around in the major leagues at the moment, one for Seattle and one for still for Tampa, who two years ago were out here playing for the Heat. Um, and then the other imports, same deal, have either been on rosters and are trying to get back on or are playing independent ball. So the independent league, not affiliated with major leagues. So we get them from everywhere. They do get paid. I'm not entirely sure how much, but most of the Aussie guys are either doing something else or in terms of employment or are working to make it. Sure. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. I didn't realize there was like these affiliated clubs you had back in the in the States as well. So is that the same on all the uh, the outfits over here? Not necessarily. Um, it's a, I think this would – assuming the season goes ahead, this will be our fourth year with the Rays. I th- some other teams have been affiliated with various other um, – various other organizations. I think Adelaide used to be associated with San Diego. Um, I want to say Melbourne was at one stage associated with Atlanta, the Atlanta Braves. Um, But it does take a fair bit to get going. And you're also kind of at the mercy of the major league affiliate to send, to decide who they're going to send out. So they could either send out their studs. So we've been pretty lucky over the last few years, have some pretty good imports come to us. But, if they want him back at a certain time, they are absolutely in their right to say, all right, he's done, bring him back, which is a pretty serious problem if he's turned into a key part of your rotation or a key part of your lineup. Sure, right. And um, and you're saying, so some of those guys in the US, I mean, th- that's, you know, more or less that their full-time gig. They've been, Correct. you know, scouted out of school or out of college. We want you to develop a bit more before we come back into our minor league team. Correct. And so the way it would roll over in the US, you would have your your – well, your high school, then collegiate baseball, I'm assuming, and then minor leagues, which feed into then your major leagues, so your your, your Red Sox and, Correct, yes. and all the big teams. Okay. And so then that's interesting. And that's good, though. I mean, there's obviously going to be some athletic talent in other places, you know, than the U.S. So they're putting their tentacles out and their feelers to places like Australia by, you know, having these sort of affiliated clubs. Yeah, so all the affiliates will have scouts in various parts of the world. There are a number in Perth. There's the um, – a number will always go to the – youth championships every year. So, for example, in Perth, I know there's a guy from the Diamondbacks, there's a guy from the Red Sox, there's a guy from the Tigers. Um, There was a guy from the Reds. Um, So, like you say, they cast a massive net. They they did a stat only 10% of minor leaguers will end up playing Major League Baseball. Let's just do a little bit of math. There are 30 Major League Baseball teams. Each team will have at least at least five or six Minor league affiliates, so what's that, 180? Every minor league affiliate will have 25 players on it. So that's 4,500 players on mo- per season. Only 45 of them will play in the big leagues. Okay. And at there are only – there are 25 players on the roster at any given time for the, mo- for the major league, so 750. So only one in 20. Okay. Wow. It, the, it's, the setup is designed to just weed people out. So you sign, let's say you sign out of college, been a four-year four year prospect out of UCLA. You are not expected to play major league for at least four or five years unless you're an absolute stud. A lot of guys don't even go all the way through their four years. They'll sign after one year, two years. It's not like the NFL or NBA where you have to go to college. A lot of guys do anyway to get, you know, experience to get scouted. Um, but... Yeah, the actual grind to make it to the major leagues is ridiculous. Right. Okay. Uh, true or false, 
Michael Jordan would have made it to the majors if he stuck with it? Uh, that's an issue of great conjecture. My boss firmly believes he would have made it. Yeah. Talked to enough guys at the White Sox at the time. So his manager at the Birmingham Barons was the Cleveland Indians manager a few years ago when they made the when they made the World Series. And there's a 30 for 30, Jordan rides the bus. And at the end, they say 18 more months, he would have made it. But just, he was just that, he just needed to develop. Um, I'm pretty sure in the last dance, they say the reason he started off at double A wasn't because he was good enough, it's because all the media, they needed to deal him. So it really was going from, double A is a good standard. Double A is like hard to play. And so someone who hasn't played baseball since he was a kid has gone straight into like a really decent standard. So Is, is double A minor league? Correct, yes. Okay. So you've got triple A, double A, high A, low A, rookie ball. So that's five. Okay. Um, so I think if a lot of people believe he could have, I'm sure he could have. But um, I think they came to him and said at one stage, because it was the Major League Baseball strike, and they said to him, you know, you're going to go up. But he'd been a player rep in NBA and said, no, nah, I, I can't do that. I'm going to go back to basketball. So – yeah. I think a lot of people like to think he could have, but we'll never know. We'll never know. It's one of the, the uh, mysteries, but that's, that's good. Sometimes things are better left to the imagination. <laughs> um, that's funny. You actually mentioned the, um, the, the Brewers before uh, when you're talking about affiliates and that. I've actually been to a Milwaukee Brewers game oh, uh, um, at, in Milwaukee. Cor- Coors, Coors Field? No. Um, you know, I was called? a kid. I can't remember oh, what right the field on. was called. But uh, my, my grandma uh, lived in Wisconsin, so oh, I grew oh, up really? visiting over there. And my uncle took me to to a game, and and it was fun. Like they had the whole uh, they call it tailgating. Everyone's in the, <laughs> cook up and beers in, in the parking lot, and then they had the uh, you know you could throw the ball and see how fast you, you, yeah. you're pitching, and and then they had uh, they had in the stadium. Uh, if someone hit a home run, uh, some mascot was meant to jump to this big giant thing of beer, oh. but but they no one hit the home run when I was oh, there. I was no. like, come on now. Oh, no, no, you know? they they put on a big show and dance because there is in a majority of game for a majority of game not a lot is happening. Yeah. So you need to. Also, keep... you want to put your hand in front of the camera. People want to see your pretty oh. face. <laughs> um, there is for a majority of game there isn't a lot going on, so you need to make it you know engaging and interesting. So that's the music after a home run, the walk up music, the chants, the singing. In between inning entertainment, it's all it's yeah. There's the game going on, but there's heaps of other stuff going on in between. So we do our best to incorporate some of that stuff down at the ballpark in Perth and some of the other games around the ABL. They do our best, but I went to a game at the uh, f- at the Red Sox a few years ago at Fenway, and same deal. And they take it pretty seriously. So yeah. everyone has to stand for God Bless America and Sweet Caroline and the anthems before the game, before every game. So 162 games a season plus playoffs. You are singing Star Spangled Banner 162 times plus playoffs. Uh, it's it's a big it's a big deal. It's a big deal for them. Yeah, I, I ended up going to um to a game in San Francisco when I was probably in my early early 20s, and uh, I was you know a bit more you know into sports than I was when I was a youngster. So I appreciate that a bit more as well. But you know, said they're trying to make it entertaining because they are they are long games, go several hours long. Um, can they end in ties? Uh, what, like what happens if it rains? Do they just say, so sorry, after guys, it's a tie? five and a half innings. So, yep. So you obviously got top half of the inning, bottom half of the inning. If you've gotten through, I think if you've gotten through five innings and it rains, it gets called off and the team that was leading wins. Okay. So, for example, if you look at a box score and it says final slash six, then that means the game's been in a regular season, you know, not just COVID-impacted season. Right. So the COVID-impacted season at the moment 
Some games have been only seven innings. They're only playing 60 games this season instead of 162. But in a non-COVID season, you will play until until there's a winner. Like there's right. no no ties. There's no. This is good. See, this is what how yeah. sports should yeah. be. <laughs> and this is one of my great gripes about being um, half Australian by blood. You know, I was born and raised here, but I feel very un-Australian when I say cricket is terrible. Um, and I'm not going to apologise for that. Any game that lasts five days <laughs> and they can end in a draw because it rained is not a real sport. I'm standing by it. I don't care what anyone else says. So I'm glad to hear that they still have to play out for a winner in yeah, baseball. Um, All right, never apologise for well, that. The World Series a few years ago went for 18 innings. The Red Sox versus the Dodgers in LA went for 18 innings, a full two full games. Like you, and it's a if there's a tie, in like that's why I feel like that's why Americans struggle with soccer. It'll be like there's there's a tie at the end of the game. Like, yeah. What? There's a nil nil tie yeah. after 90 minutes. Are you yeah. kidding me? It's soccer. Don't even get me started about soccer. <laughs> okay. No, I've set him off. <laughs> there we go. Um, right. Well, I guess um, that's good. That's a good little uh, little intro into sort of what baseball is all about there. But how did you get into baseball? Was it always something that you were interested in, or did you just happen to fall into it um, and then just sort of really uh, cre- you know develop your passion uh, for, for baseball? Complete fall into it. I. Known a little bit about it when I was uh, younger, but nothing really. Um, when you know, like every you know Australian kid, I grew up playing a bit of t-ball, but then other sports took over. Um, when I started at the company I'm at at the moment, Diamond Fitness, my boss at the time was the high performance manager down at Baseball WA. And when I was just you know trying to get hours, trying to get work, he said, "I'll oh, come on down," and just went down there to a game, and you know just kind of weaseled my way into hanging out there for as long as I can. So. Over time, I've worked with, pretty much worked my way up, up the rankings for lack of a better term. So I've worked. So there are two junior state teams, so under sixteen, under eighteen. So work with both of them. There's a women's team. Worked with them. There's a winter high performance program. I've done work with them, and they now made my way to the senior squad, and I've been with them for about three years now. Yeah, nice. And I didn't mention in the uh, in the introduction there, but you also hold or you've held a travelling um, secretary role, which means yeah. you get to travel along with these teams on away fixtures. Exactly. Yeah. So the in any in any any other sport, it's called the manager, but right. in in baseball, the manager is the head coach. So the correct term for it is executive officer. Don't ask me why. But what that entails is, let's say it's an away series. I'll get in touch with – I'll get the, pl- the the roster from the head coach. I'll send that off to the travel agent who, to book our flights on Virgin and I'll also send it off to the hotel So and I get all the rooms. Listen, some guys are picky about who they want to be with, you know, want to put pitches with pitches, rookies with rookies, et cetera. Um, you don't pair up rookie with an elder statesman for the experience and to pass on not, wisdom? Not really. Not as much, no. I think because the senior guys want to be with – other experienced players. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, they get experience through, they get experience through playing. Like, and they want to, a lot of the juniors have been together since um, under sixteen. So like the two guys from the Brewers have been best mates for a while. I'm not going to split them up. It just it caused too much headaches to split them up. And the hierarchical system in baseball is pretty, pretty like set in stone. That means a little bit of hazing go, goes on Absol- behind the scenes. Not as much hazing as more rookie, rookie duties. So when we go away, we have the bat bag, the balls, helmets physio table, et cetera, that all gets allocated to the rookies. Um, there's not much – We every now and then we go away, we'll do like a, a rookie dress-up, um, but it's not, it's not hazing like too aggressively. Um, it's just you got to pay your dues. You know, you got to earn the right not to carry that – 
bag of bats or carry the helmet bag, etc. And that's right. And before the world goes too crazy PC, that's important because it builds something <laughs> called camaraderie um, between players. So there's nothing wrong with a friendly bit of banter and hazing from time to time. All right? Absolutely. That's right. Um, so getting into more of the S&C side of baseball, um, what, what are we looking at? So my background pretty extensively with, um, with rugby, and that's very clean cut. You have off-season, pre-season, and the competitive season, right? Um, since then, I've moved more into spring sports, strongman, powerlifting. They don't really have competitive seasons. It's just when is your competition. So you're either ramping up for a competition or you're not. And then you can choose your different training blocks, whether you're trying to get bigger, throw some hypertrophy blocks in there where you want to get stronger, strength-specific, get more power. Um, it's very easy to sort of um, do. Now, I'm assuming that uh, baseball probably falls a bit more in line with rugby where you have off-season, pre-season, competitive season, but I'm not sure. Yeah, so it's a bit split between the two. So, for example, the guys that come out to play in the ABL with the affiliated guys, this is their off-season and they've chosen to or been chosen to come out here to get reps in, you know, get fielding reps, um, experience playing, um, et cetera, et cetera, for example. But they're the prospects. They need that extra work to get their skills to a level where they can go up the grades. More senior guys, I'll pick the most high-profile player I know because hopefully other people might know. So Mike Trout, for example, from the LA Angels, you know, $400 million over 13 years. Figure that one out. Yeah, it's, it's astronomical. I mean, he's no uh, Patrick Mahomes, but... Well, yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I worked out the top five highest-paid Major League Baseball players make more than the entire AFL combined. So the, the amount of money thrown around is mortifying. Yeah. But anyway, so his season will run until ideally he'll go deep into the playoffs. So... They generally finish around the last weekend of October. Then November, December, January, February, they have off and the clubs don't touch them. Like I think it's in the collective – it might be in their agreement or whether it's tradition. They say that they will not – they might be in touch with the SNC coach along the way, but on the whole they are left to their own devices, which has given rise to these private so private um, facilities like Joe DeFranco, for example. Right. So he'll train those pros in their off-season to get them to their level. After a – and then so January, February, March, they're back at spring training and spring training either takes place in Florida or Arizona and they're just games. So they just play against each other. And then round one or opening day is generally the first – in the first week of April and then you're into the season grinding all the way through again till end of regular season September, October. So for the pros, the high-end guys, you do have those set times. But for the guys coming out here, this is their off-season. They're just coming out here to train and to work. Okay. So, yeah, they do have that set season. But if you want <clears throat> if you want me to take you through how it looks, so let's say, um, well, first of all, there's obviously position pitchers and position players. Pitchers are broken down into starter and reliever. Position players, you've got your infielders, your outfielders, and your catchers. Pitchers, starting pitchers need to be – are relatively need relative strength. Position players need absolute strength. They need to be super strong, super powerful. Pitchers are more signed and picked due to their velocity and their control, which is developed using strength, but also developed using their mechanics. What my role is as an SNC coach is to get them stronger. So velocity goes up, durability goes up, and they are able to play in more games. So the best ability in any sport is availability. And longevity, right? Longevity, yeah, exactly. Longevity. Exactly, yeah. So for pitchers, starting pitchers need to be fit, need to be super fit. 
to go because they're expected to pitch for long amounts of time, you know, 80, 90 pitches, heart rate's always around, you know, in the high 70s, low 80s. Relief pitchers don't pitch for as long, but they can pitch on repetitive days, so one day after the other. So, but they're more anaerobic because they'll only be in the game for, they could only be in the game for one inning. Um, and generally, on average, would throw harder than a starter. A starter probably has more um, wider array of pitches, so they'll be able, they'll have like four pitches they can throw, whereas a reliever might only have one or two. But that it'll work, and it'll only work for a certain amount of time. Um, so the main focus with the pitches is the pitches are more aerobic. Then we go to the position players, infielders. Even there, you're almost broken down. The first baseman's generally quite tall, real powerful doesn't need to be as mobile as a shortstop because their job is to stand on the bag and get putouts. Second baseman, shortstop, middle infielders need to be quick, powerful, um, agile because they need to cover more ground. Third baseman, again, is probably a combination of the middle infielder, middle, in, middle infielder and the first baseman, more of a power guy. And the outfielders are generally out there because they're lefties. Or they're just they're there as batsmen. Um, batsmen, batsmen as hitters, so they're there for their hitting ability and just their ability to get reads and cover ground while they're out there. But those guys would they be more? They'd be more relied on to be catching people out in the outfield. Yeah. Right? So generally, you fitter guys, guys who can with getting reads on balls and where it's going to go. Um, and then catches, catching is a in itself a different skill. Being able to call games because they're you know they're trying to show for the camera, but like doing like those ones to the pitcher. Yeah. So being able to know what to throw, um, being able to throw guys out who are trying to steal base. Um, but they're also, they're down in that squat position all day. So they, that in itself has its own strength and conditioning requirements, but catches on the whole are pretty powerful. Yeah. Okay. So I guess I'm pretty interested in, it's, it's kind of tough because when you're looking at a sport like rugby or AFL or soccer, there's a huge amount of you know running component but it's, it's usually between what 80 minutes and 90 minutes whereas baseball go for a lot longer and there is short bursts of running um but there's a lot of standing around as well i remember my old t-ball days from when i was a youngster too but a lot of standing around as well now how do you how do you train them to be more aerobically fit when the game might last for three hours or four hours so how or why do we train them to be that fit both so how it's generally a combination of both interval and steady state running um, which can be, which you can be sciencey about it, but a lot of the time they'll just do poles, which is more your steady state work. Pitches, I try to use more interval training work because that repeat effort is similar to what they'll do on the mound. Um, so that's how we do it: combination of interval work and steady state. Why we do it? They need to be able to recover in, after their game. Well, pitches need to be rec- need to be able to recover after games and between innings. The pitch-to-pitch performance will be anaerobic, so we need to improve that anaerobic performance. The recovery between innings and recovery between games is down to their aerobic system. What some people will try and do is they'll try and condition them through throwing because it gets their heart rate up, but the amount of stress that will put on the shoulder and the elbow is far too much. Yeah, detrimental in the end. Massively detrimental, and that's how you end up with a lot of junior kids getting surgery by the age of 16, 17, 18. It's just pure volume of throwing. So the how is steady state and interval work. The why is mainly is mainly recovery. Yeah, and we also know that um, in strength and conditioning that uh, the uh, the risk of injury 
goes up significantly when athletes are tired. Like your proprioceptive work goes down, uh, which means you're far more likely just to roll an ankle or hurt yourself sliding into base. Or um, if you fall over, you know, you're less likely to be able to catch yourself or recover yourself and you're more likely to get hurt. So there's a pretty decent combination of acute and chronic injuries that develop while playing baseball. So you got your acute injuries, breaking your wrist, stealing your base or tripping over, knocking yourself out, et cetera. The chronic injuries in baseball are also quite significant. So pitchers are always are at risk of, not always, well, are at risk of rotation disorders in their shoulder, torn labrums and torn UCLs, which is repaired through Tommy John surgery. Now, Tommy John surgery recovery is 13 months at best. It's, it is worse than, it's worse than ACL. What, what is this? So Tommy John surgery, uh, the reconstruction of the ulnar collateral nerve, but TJ sounds better. Yeah. Um, was named after a American pitcher, Tommy John, who yeah. got the surgery to repair the UCL. So show up to the camera. That one in there, the one that deals with all the force when it's coming through torque coming and then release the main torque. When you see those fo- those photos of shoulders bending way back there, that's predominantly the shoulder, but the elbow shoulder and the elbow are the main wrist points. And like I said, TJ surgery is at least, at least 12 months, 13 months is best case scenario. And there was actually a, um, there's a myth that if you get TJ, you'll be able to come back and throw harder which has led to a num- – there was a number of cases in the States where a surgeon opened up a kid, a kid's elbow, and found there was nothing wrong with his UCL and has gone to the parents, what the hell is wrong? Why are you doing this? Said, oh, we wanted to throw harder so we'll get signed. Now, sign- America is all about signing bonuses. Right. Okay, so we had a guy come out a few years ago, signed out of high school. His signing bonus was $3 million. To an 18-year-old kid, he's $3 million. So it's sort of – Talk about like the... And he came to the Perth Heat? He came to the Perth Heat a few years ago. Yeah. First rounder out of Tampa. Try telling a 16-year-old kid, if you get this surgery and you'll be able to throw faster, you'll sign for that amount of money. Especially some of the kids, a kid from a lower economic area, he's doing it 10 times out of 10. But the reason they can throw harder after their Tommy John surgery is they do nothing but rehab and run and lift and get fit and get in game shape. So when they can come back... They can hold their mechanics over time and they're stronger from all the gym they've been doing. What you mentioned earlier about the mechanics break, about um, injury occurring when you're tired. Or when proprioception breaks yep, down, yep, yeah. Is because they're tired, their mechanics break down and they're forced to compensate using other areas. So if they're tired, they can't produce as much force with their muscle. They compensate with arm speed. So now their arm's dealing with dealing with forces that it's not used to, leads to which leads to you know, which le- which could lead, like you said, to injury. Yeah. So as long as my goal is to make the pitcher being able to do what they can do repeatedly for as long a period of time. If they get to a point where they're they're getting a few hits given up or their mechanics are breaking down, the manager will pull them out and a reliever will come in. But that reliever might have pitched the day before. So I need to make sure he's fit so he can, he can go out there and do his work and finish the game off. Yeah, right. Interesting. How do you so how do you actually monitor that? I mean, it's kind of kind of are you just literally sitting there eyeballing performance and be like, hey, this throw is getting, you know, less accurate, it's slowing down, we better like get him out? Or do you have some sort of metrics that you're able to follow? Like again, in other sports, it's easy. You have a GPS strapped to your shoulder blades, it's much easier to see, oh, this guy's slowing down, he's doing less work at this point in the game, right? So 
baseball is both subjective and objective and subjective. So, for example, I'll, I'll use quantitative, qualitative. So I've seen Moneyball. Got to get on base. So that's dealing. That's more dealing with the position players. There's no. There hasn't been a Moneyball for pitching yet. Um, sure, there would be. Um, get all sabermetric on you. Um, Anyway, they're good this year, by the way. The Oakland Athletics. There's okay. an Australian guy playing for them. Oh, yeah. Liam Hendricks. Yeah, nice. he's, yeah, yeah. Perth boy. All right. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're representing. Look, we do well abs- here in absolutely, WA. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but so the main quantitative measure that we use is pitch count. So that's what I mentioned earlier. Throwing up to 80, 90 pitches. Generally, as you get closer to that 100 mark, deeper into the game, that's when the manager needs to go. All right, he's tired. Pull him. In terms of, apart from that, I don't have the pitches wired up. It'd be too hard to do it during a game. So you just need to track their velocity. If a guy's average velocity is 95 and he's getting called fast balls and they're only at 92, which is a massive drop, by the way, that I'm using miles per hour. Um, I can't, I, I'm so used to doing miles right, per so hour. Right. So we were talking 160 yeah. miles per hour is 100 kilometers an hour. Other way around. 100 miles at 160. 100 right. miles, 160 kilometers. Is it in 60? Is it in 60, 100? What's it the other way? Oh, sorry, my mistake. Um, 60 miles yeah, so an hour. So 60 miles an hour is, is rough. About is about is 96. 96. Yeah. So go. let's say, um, so let's say, or even still using kilometers per hour, the gap from throwing 150 kilometers per hour to 145 kilometers an hour is hundreds of thousands of dollars. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> does that does that yep. make more it sense? It makes sense. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. Um, it's also a lot easier for lack of a better term to see so if a guy's th- meant to be throwing 95 he's only throwing 92 pull him he's done like we've got a bullpen of guys who are fresh and can go yeah um so in terms of how to eye monitor it sitting in the dugout i'm more just keep an eye on the on the pitch count and i was on, on his velocity but it's not my call it's the manager's call so lots of factors go into how long a guy will stay in a game so how much he pitched when he when he last pitched. So ideally, if he's a starting pitcher, every team will have about four to six pitches on their starting pitches on their rotation. So if there's six pitches in a rotation, obviously he'll have more rest. So he could, assuming they're playing every day, he'll get f- so he'll get five days rest between his next start. But how many pitches did he throw the week before? How many innings did he throw the week before? Okay, he so last week. He gave up 10 runs in the first three innings. He only threw 50 pitches. We pulled him out because he wasn't having a good game. Now he's thrown 50 pitches and it's in the sixth inning. We could probably leave him out there. Um, other factors include you know, fatigue, like we mentioned, um, dropping velocity, manager's discretion, so lefty-righty matchups, etc. or we've got into the sixth inning, we've got a, our bullpen's fresh, we could bring in someone else. Contractual obligations. So, for example, we had a guy play for us this year, another Perth boy from the Philadelphia Phillies. He was on a restricted innings count. And he could only pitch – I think he'd only – I want to say he could only pitch 25 innings a in, in his time with us. So we had to monitor how many how much we let him pitch. And if a guy's coming into a game fatigued, we'll say he's only going to pitch a few innings today before we drag him or we might not even start him because he can come in as a reliever just to get his work in that way. Yeah, right. Excellent. Um, now, when I was going through uni, 
uh, a lot of the injury um, prevention and rehabilitation units, um, I focused on rugby. And when you're looking at injury, you would break it down into sort of preventable, unpreventable. They say sort of concussion, unpreventable, like for the most part, if you get a hit in the head, um, you know, and you get concussed. Uh, mm. Same with, you know, Absolutely. different, you know, contusions or, or, you know, open wounds, stuff like that. But in preventable, one of the highest um, uh, 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 rate of injury in rugby was, was hamstring. I know there's always a lot of knees and shoulders and stuff like that. Yes. And this is at the time. This was now back in 2013, 14. Ooh. But a hamstring was it was a big one. <laughs> hamstring still a hamstring. Yeah. And there was a there was a big list basically of um of uh, of risk indicators. So like one, um, if you have weak hamstrings compared to your like your quads, right? If your quads are the powerhouse and your hammies are your brake pads and they can't control the engine, you're gonna be more likely at a risk of a tear. It's stuff like if you had already had a hamstring injury, you're much likely, uh, uh, much more likely to get a, another hamstring injury. Um, a whole number of things, um, uh, flexibility to the hamstrings, right? So there's a lot of sort of metrics that you can look at to see if someone's at risk. If you're talking about baseball and you've already mentioned a few very common injuries, do you have metrics that you guys do for tests? So like I know, for example, at the Western Force, one of the things they'll do is they'll do a repeated jump test on a, on a mat, R- on R- a R- jump mat. RSI, yeah. Yep. And they'll say, look, this guy's clearly fatigued. He's at a higher risk of injury. So we're going to take his workload down for the week. Do you guys do sort of testing? Um, uh, uh, and if you do, what metrics and what injuries are you looking at preventing the most? Yeah, so we did our preseason testing about a month ago. Um, this is just for the boys located in Perth. We do RSI, drop jump, vertical jump, squat jump. So with the pause, um, broad jump, 10-meter sprint, uh, overhand pull-ups, and trap bar three-round maximum. So we do those initial power tests just to test their power output, see where they're at. We do overhand pull-ups because pitches need to be strong in that overhand position. Yeah. And you keeping those real strict? You go in chin to bar, chest to bar? Uh, Are ideally, you allowed to kick your legs around? Ideally, Are we talking CrossFit? Ideally chin to bar. Um, but at the time, I wasn't too fussed. And the reason I was was the same reason we did the trap bar 3RM is I don't know how much work these guys have been doing during lockdown. Okay, We did the trap bar 3 out, we did the was it the 3 arms 3 arm trap bar it was a trap bar 1 rm using um a push band vbt predicted again because it purely for safety um if they get a good score doing a trap bar you'd assume they still get a good score doing a squat or doing a deadlift okay it's not their trap bar deadlift strong they're strong period as as measured by let me phrase that they are strong as measured by trap bar deadlift Purely out of a safety thing because a lot of them, I should say, ah, oh. now most of them have been doing stuff, but I didn't know. But you don't know. No, exactly, you know? exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, can I ask what the what the trapper um, weight was? What was the weight? What was the best? Uh, what was the best? Yeah. Um, had a few guys in the high hundreds, few guys in the high, low two hundreds. One of our position players did a two forty. Okay. Yeah. So the position guys will be. They're not powerlifting. I'm just saying, just send them here to the strength then, institute, mate. Oh we'll no. get them up. We'll get them up to the high 200, oh, 340 on the trap bar. Or uh, they're not powerlifters. I know, but you know, strong is strong. You just said so yourself. <laughs> um, then there's a bunch of baseball metrics they'll use to measure. So pitch velocity, arm speed. Um, I'm sure there are other ones, but they don't. But the arm speed ones are pretty aggressive. One that was set up with a, a fly screen, maybe about the size of this wall. And they'll be just off a 
crow hop a sidestep and they'll just dig it into the wall and just try and see how far they can throw. Every now and then someone will miss it and they'll like missile over the top of it and hopefully it won't take someone's head off because those baseballs are a lot harder than they look. Yeah. Um, I think they're about they're a bit lighter, a little bit lighter than a cricket ball. Um, but yeah, so that's what we test. What am I looking for? Just be strong in all upper and lower, strong core, um, be powerful. So like I was saying earlier before, anaerobic to be able to produce so strength and power to be able to juicy velo- produce velocity be i didn't do any aerobic testing at the moment because i didn't want to do that straight away but be fit to be able to reproduce and recover between innings and between games sure all right interesting well that's good and um do you have the same issue uh that again and i want to say more intense sports um just because uh, baseball is dragged out over a longer period. It might still be very well intense to be to be you know outside and playing for a three or four hour period. But let's say um, in a rugby season, you will see a decrease in strength, power, and that during the season because they are tired, they're run down, they're traveling, they're getting their bodies beaten by you know big big rugby players. You know, so um, do you have the same trend in baseball? Like during the season, you're actually getting weaker and you're just trying to manage that and then build them up in the off season? Yeah, massively because like you say, they are always fatigued. We'll talk specifically about the ABL. So we will play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, or we'll play Friday, doubleheader, Saturday, Sunday. And on either the Wednesday night, we're flying out or on the Sunday night, we're coming back. So between playing, training, training, flying, in-season, it's purely about maintenance. So for my position players in-season, I'll generally give them, let's say we're at a home week, so we've got a, a stretch at home. We'll get back on the Sunday. We'll have Monday off. Tuesday will be like an all-body all body day. Wednesday will be optional. Thursday will be a primer day. Friday, Saturday, sun. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, game day. Come in if you want. Do some box jumps. Do what you got to do. Go from there. Pitches. Let's say we're talking about the starting pitcher. So he'll pitch on the Thursday. On the Friday, he'll do a lower body lift because his upper body will be fatigued. So we just we want to get the lower body moving, maintain that strength. On, he'll also probably do some conditioning that day. Same deal, steady state and interval running. The day after, he'll throw, do some recovery throwing, doing some practice pitching. That's called a bullpen workout. So they're on a mound, and it's called the bullpen, just practicing their throwing, maybe at 30 pitches. Then they'll probably do an upper body lift. The day after, they'll, if we're going off a, it's harder in the ABL because. Where they, where they know when they're pitching, they'll always have time, they'll always have a time have time off. Um, I'll probably give them a day off there. The then they're two days out. They'll probably go through some speed work. You know, touching ninety five percent max sprint speed to maintain that ability. Day before, they'll go through a primer workout, focusing on explosive, focusing on explosiveness, and then the day seven is showtime. Like, right back into it so in season it's more about like any sport it's about maintenance making sure everything all those abilities and capacities they develop during the off season are maintained so they can go out and do what they what they can do on the mound if their strength comes down a little bit but their velocity stays the same fine not fast if their strength drops velocity drops problem 
Right. Okay. So if you were talking now to uh, to an aspiring baseball player mm-hmm. and you had to give them a list of um, – and this is obviously general, right, because you don't know whether they're a pitcher, catcher, right, um, is – these are the best exercises that you need to work on if you want to most, uh, you know, benefit your shot at getting into uh, or bettering your your playing capacity. So, position or pitcher, either don't matter. Give me give me Let's, a handful for the pitcher and give me a handful for everyone. So, else. so for pitcher, it's squat, row, lunge, overhead. So press pull, pressing in a neutral position, overhand pulling, not so fast. So, hand, so pressing in a neutral position. Neutral position. Yep, yep. Just find it's a bit more, not as taxing on the on the shoulder joint. Yep, right. Um, rotator cuff exercises, so all your external bands and um, dumbbell rot- external rotations, et cetera. Um, and heaps of core work because core is important to be able to maintain because I, I can't really demonstrate it here, but the positions they get into when they're pitching are pretty hard to maintain and hold if you're A, inflexible, and be weak through the core. So they need to be able to strong to hold those positions, maintain their mechanics to produce the force. So two things come down to producing force, your absolute and relative strength. We're going to, we're going to touch on the absolute <laughs> versus relative in a second. Oh, yeah, so yeah, I should yeah. say your relative, your, your strength. I'll just, I'll just say strength yep. and avoid that, avoid that bloody swamp and your ability to maintain your mechanics over time. So maintain strength, maintain mechanics over time, you're golden. For my position guys, get as strong as powerful, as strong as powerful, wow, as strong as possible. Again, not as much focus on the overhead, more horizontal because pitches will generally be out here when they throw. Position guys are more coming down lower when they throw because they're throwing more across their body, not over the top. And they're all in, they're in that position when they're ready, so they're in already in like that. So being strong in that in the horizontal pressing and pulling movements, but then again, strong lower body, squat, lunge, deadlift, etc. And so your lunge, you're chucking the lunge in there for what adductor and hip flexor strength. Yeah, and or sprint, sprint, sprinting as well, yep. sprinting, being able to there is change, there is change of direction, um, driving off when you're stealing a bag. Um, so for example, if you're a first baseman, you're because baseballers always only turn left, but if they're on the they're, if they're fielding, they need to be able to push off left, push off right. They might be left or right foot dominant for whatever reason. So we need to get rid of those, not to get rid of those, work out those indifferences. Um, so, but just be at the junior level, it's pretty straightforward when it's just that general athletic development. Um, but Bigger f- strength focus for the position guys. Um, so, like I said, squat, deadlift, lunge, push, pull, horizontal, some vertical, not too fast, and just heaps of shoulder work to maintain that. And anti rotation is a big one for, for position guys because they spend all day rotating. Yeah. So they don't if they're you're taking you know however many hacks of swings you are during batting practice or during training, work on anti rotation. So pile of presses, um, lateral sled walk, etc. Okay, all right. And when you're saying anti, you're not meaning the other way. You're meaning just like more like yeah, static so, bracing. Yeah. So, can't re- see if I can do this. Whoops. So, for example, parlor press, just hold. Right. Just hold on a band. Can even press, squat, or lateral sled walk. So, yeah, stepping that way. I get you. So, okay. No, no, no. So, I'd probably, if I was incorporating 
proper rotation, I'd get them to do both sides just to even because they could have imbalances, but they're already doing it all day. So I'd rather incorporate some anti-rotation work. Yeah, perfect. Nice one. Because swing mechanics is again another separate issue because the same deal. It's like it's almost like golf. It's like they've gotten to where they have because of their swing and their ability to hit. And they're obviously the hand-eye comes into it. But once you start playing around with a pitcher's mechanics or start playing around with a batter's swing, that's like murky waters. And because if they've gone to where they've been because of that and suddenly some can, in comes some gym coach trying to change it and that, that can create other issues. Right, yeah. So they can have a technique coach for that and we'll just work they, on getting them as strong they as possible. Will. Yeah, they, they will. Which are, And I feel like that's where strength and conditioning coaches get a bit ahead of themselves by saying this sport-specific stuff. no sport is sport specific right like what we do i like that what we do helps them you know showcase their skills so let's go back to rugby scrummaging is an, in itself is a skill okay you need to be strong to do it but your scrum technique was developed through hours and hours on a scrum machine and the hopefully hours and hours you spent in a squat rack or doing deadlifts will help amplify that skill absolutely i like that though yes yeah, sport specific Skill is developed playing sport. Yeah, it, yeah who'd have thought? Good. Yeah, no, but it's good. It's true, and you hear it all the time. It's thrown around all the time. Oh, we're sport-specific with this, sport-specific with this. Well, no, you, you can pick things that will help you um, uh, help you perform that skill better. But you, you're right. You, you perform that skill and you develop that skill by doing it um, out there on the field. What a lot of S&C coaches need to realize is most people in the sporting world don't like going to the gym. Okay, so how dare you? four sorts of athletes like how, going. How dare you? How four sorts of athletes like going to the gym? Strongmen, powerlifters, bodybuilders, CrossFitters, oh, Olympic, Olympic weightlifters. Weight 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 yeah. Okay, five. Yeah. Okay, but like I said, these baseballers who are all on who are on thirty million dollars a year. Do you think they'd rather you know go to the gym or go and party with Jennifer Lopez? Like, I think it's clear that they should <laughs> want to go to the gym. <laughs> all right. But, yeah. I mean, hey, you make $30 million a year and then see what you'd rather yeah. do. Right. And, and to make $30 million a year, guys, I need everyone to start subscribing to this podcast real quick, <laughs> real quick. So if you haven't done so already, just swing on on that subscribe button for me. All right. Um, is there anything that I missed um, that you think is, you know, something that we should talk about when we're talking about strength conditioning um, and especially in how it relates to, to baseball? Uh, let's have a look up here. My background, so it's not only just baseball, it's also like school-based essence, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, Let's I, do that. I'd like to talk about that if you... Yeah, absolutely. Well, So what we're going to do then is we're going to circle right back to the introduction where I said that <laughs> yeah, you're not only working with these um, professional and semi-professional sporting outfits, um, but your background actually is with kids and through high school um, strength conditioning as well. Yeah, correct. So through the company I work for, Diamond Fitness, we are embedded in a couple of schools across Perth. So we're at Christchurch Grammar School, Darling Range Sports College, JDC... John 23rd, uh, MLC. We were at Freo College, which was a baseball school. Um, they um, discontinued their baseball program a few years ago. And so majority of those kids are now at Darling Range. Um, and, yeah, so I'll work in the gym at those schools and we – depends on the kid. We write programs for them, whether it's just for themselves, trying to get big, get strong for – I generally have you know, I map out, map out for three reasons: prevention of lifestyle diseases, you know, obesity, arthritis, etc. Look good, feel good. You know, levers coming up, got to get in shape. You know, hormones, testosterone running through the roof. You know, look good. Suddenly, started starting to notice the girl across the road, or performance 
measures. So kids trying to make first team sports, rowing, rugby, cricket, swimming, et cetera, et cetera. Nice. Mm. Yeah. And what do you prefer? Do you prefer working with the developing athletes or do you prefer working with the people that are getting paid $3 million bon- <laughs> uh, signing bonuses? Um, each to their own. Each to um, their own. A, a lot of the, ki- the kids are generally pretty keen to come in and, you know, get moving. Um, they're not as e- they're not as hard to motivate as opposed to, oh, I feel like the athletes are more self-motivated. The younger kids are more just want to come in, hang out. Some of them want to take to the next level. You know, they're on their way to – some of them are on their way to – you know, sporting careers themselves. So I worked with a swim squad who had two girls in it this year who both made Olympic trials. So um, just stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, there's they both have their positives and negatives. Um, if I had to pick one, uh, I, I couldn't. But they're both rewarding in different ways as well. Yeah, massively. All right. And to, to finish off, I guess, you mentioned earlier in, in the podcast – you said that you know this this position needs to be really relatively strong. This position needs to be absolutely really strong and powerful. Why relative versus absolute? Surely, wouldn't you just want everyone to be absolutely as strong? So I subscribe to the. And I just want to just say this with a quick caveat here: is that is that Adrian, who I do a different podcast with, the the Big Flex. He keep, it's called the Big Flex. If you haven't listened, please subscribe to the YouTube channel and uh, and have wow. a listen. And we talk about everything, but but he is adamant that strength is relative. And we're actually doing a squat challenge on Christmas Day, um, and we're uh, we're doing the whoever has the biggest relative squat wins. I intend to have the biggest relative and absolute Re- squat relative to your weight. Relative to your weight, and um, I intend to have the biggest relative and absolute squat, just so he knows that absolute is always king. All right. So if you're about to tell me that relative is more important, I'm gonna be really upset. He'll love it, but I'll never invite you back on, John. Now, no, I never said relative was more important. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm talking about pitches versus position players. So pitches need to be relatively strong. Position players need to be absolutely strong. It's hard. To, it's hard to say that. Pitches need relative strength. Position players need absolute strength. Pitchers need to be strong enough to be able to produce their force, to get to be able to deal with the amount of forces coming through their body, produce velocity to throw hard, throw hard to strike people out or get outs. Pitchers need to, and they need to be strong enough just so they can get out there. Okay, if I can get them to the point where they can be out there every game, miss no games through injury, then job done. Position players need to be strong enough to crush balls out of the park, be as absolutely strong as powerful to when they connect with a when they connect, instead of being a fly out to a guy in deep center field, it's gone sixty feet over the wall. So that's where that's where my opinion of relative strength versus absolute strength is getting the pitches strong enough to get be able to do what they do. And I don't if one pitch is stronger than the other, but the other can produce but the weaker picture can produce more velo than the other guy. Then and all he needs to do to get out on the field is do a certain is do a certain amount of work in the gym. Guess what? He's doing that certain amount in the gym. I'm not, I'm not I'm not dragging him to the gym four times a week. If a position guy is not hitting balls out of the park because he's not weak enough, get in the gym. Like we, so again, it comes down to more than just what their specific role is exactly. on the field. So massively, yeah. So 
if you're a position player, you need to be able to slug uh, home runs. Correct, yes. Okay. Yeah. Unle- un- if you can't slug homers, then you're in there for your defensive capabilities. So, again... You'd be able to throw a ball right from the outfield ex- into ex- the home Exactly, base. yeah. Or the infielders, you know, their ability to get across the diamond and be able to make plays. Um, but being strong will enable you to get out on the field. Again, best ability, best ability is availability. Stronger less injuries, play more games, et cetera, et cetera. All right. So I feel like we're basically on the same page. And I'm paraphrasing you when I say this, but basically you are saying that that if a pitcher was incredibly, absolutely strong as well, it's still a positive thing, never a negative. It's not an – I didn't say it was a negative. Yeah, but good. there have been I – mean, there's if there was any way to, pre, to prevent – if I knew the way to prevent Tommy John surgeries or torn labrums, then I'd be – Be a rich man. Be a rich man. But – it's the it is literally the multi million dollar question is how do we stop pitchers from getting Tommy John surgery and everyone's got their different theories and mine is get them is is get them strong and being able to deal with that force um, but there are plenty there are both guys who go through their whole career never have Tommy John and guys who get it at sixteen and yeah. it, a lot of the time it just come there are lots of factors and a lot of the time it's just luck of the draw yeah no and that's that's fair enough uh, you you never know what you're going to get and then as players as players develop too. Like I know some kids might have like persistent injuries in one in one area when they're younger and then they never see that again when they're older, right? Because oh. they put the work in. And, and you actually touched on this earlier. You said that there was that myth going around where uh, with the Tommy John surgeries where they thought they came back stronger and faster and they, they did, but only because they did all the rehab, um, which which actually makes perfect sense God if you think about God, it. God forbid. Yeah. Is, um, as I, it's good. I was talking to um, Lewis Dallimore. Who, mm, I don't know yeah, yeah, you know Lewis. Um, and he was saying the same thing is that when they're dealing with people that are coming back from injury, is that uh, is that what you're trying to do is is not get them to where they were when they got injured. You're trying to get them stronger and or fitter to when they got injured. Otherwise, they're just going to re-injure, right? Yeah, yeah. So if these guys are actually doing their rehab post-surgery and they're coming back stronger, well, they're doing the right thing, um, but that is really should be the standard. But same deal. You can do all the rehab, all the gym, do everything right, and you can still you can still happen again like, so one of the guys at the Heat last year, same deal, did everything right, did all the rehab, absolute commitment, and it didn't, it just didn't heal. And so he ended up missing, he ended up getting it again, like two Tommy Johns before twenty one. Well, wow. so it just, it it is something that people consider when you're signing them. So they obviously they do their medical. He's had two Tommy Johns before twenty one, red flag. Right. Um. So there is. There is ways we can do to try and prevent it, but I feel like a lot of luck comes into it. Yeah, yeah, like all things. Fair enough. Absolutely. Well, that's good, Joey. Thanks very much for coming on, mate. Thanks I really appreciate me. it because um, I am trying to get a nice broad range of people on here, and uh, and definitely didn't have anyone else that wouldn't know uh, anything about baseball. So this has been really uh, really good and and really informational as well. So thanks. Oh, for that. glad you enjoyed it. And if you ever want to check out more about what I do or what or about Diamond Fitness or about ba- or about baseball w- WA, so um, check me out on Instagram just at Johnny Oaks and also Diamond Fitness Training is where we do we got the contract the other day is where we do all the baseball SNC for baseball in Western Australia so any aspiring baseballers hit me up we'll get you in get you sorted and get you throwing hard, throwing hard or hitting bombs fantastic I will link all that information in the description below here on the YouTubes alright and if you haven't done so already please smash that like and subscribe button to help the channel grow really appreciate it awesome thanks very much cheers, cheers. Mate. have a good one